Okay, so today we are going to be in verses 12 to 30. And the way that I've structured the PowerPoint, like I said earlier, is it's basically going to be big chunks instead of verses. So I wanted to first, I know this is a lot, but I wanted to first break down that different translations and different commentaries break down the text in a different way. And I wanted to kind of go over why, because if you're using a certain translation, your verses might be like sectioned off based on one heading and then somebody else's might have another. And this really is, I'm up here, um, commentaries and translation divide the text in different ways. And this is because in part, when translators are working through the text, they break it down different from a grammatical stance. And that's okay, because this is an, an ancient language, this is not our first language, so there is some debate sometimes about where the break is in the section, and that's okay. I mean, that's, that's just the way that translation goes. Um, but the different translators might break down your translation sections or your commentary sections a little different. Um, and then, of course, they're interpreting it as far as thematic. So sometimes they break it down not by grammar, but by theme. So when Paul talks about something in these 10 verses, and then he moves on to something else, so they'll break it down by theme. Okay, so so what? Why am I, why am I talking about all this? It can highlight different aspects of the text. So you'll see in your Bible translations, those little titles sometimes highlight different things that Paul is talking about, just in our case, because our author is Paul. And so from that, we can learn by comparing what different translators and different translations are doing, we can kind of shift our focus a little bit. One translation might focus on Paul's critique, or one translation might focus more on his encouragement. And so it can draw out different parts of the text, all of which are there, but it just shows where the translator or the scholars have their focus. And so it helps us focus on all of it by comparing through commentaries and different translations. Um, so what I have up here, this is just four different breakdowns, just for what we're gonna do tonight. All these different translations and commentators broke it down in four totally different ways. And so one of them took it from verses 12 to 26, but then left the last four verses to their own section. One went, that's the same thing, but they broke down the titles differently. This one went all the way to 20, and this one stopped it at 14. So this is okay and normal, but it does provide an opportunity for conversation. And there's a couple of slides coming where I'm actually going to break it down, and we're going to go like three verses, and then add another one, and then add another one, and see how that impacts the way that we view the verses and what we can draw out from them. Just a different way to approach it. So it's just part of it. So... Before we get into any sources or looking anything up, I wanted to read these verses. This is, these are verses 12 through 14. And then just ask you to divide up into small groups and say what stands out. Don't look anything up. Don't, don't cross-reference. Don't, don't read commentaries. Don't read any notes. Look nothing up. Just what stands out to you. Okay, so the verses, I'll just read them up here as a group. So I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters have confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Now more than ever, dare to speak the word fearlessly. So just without looking anything, what in your groups just divide up based on where you're sitting, what stands out? What words, what phrases, what thoughts, what comes to mind? What stands out, if anything? And then we'll come back together in a couple minutes and exchange ideas. And then the next slide I have, what stood out to me? And I can show you guys that. Okay, so the reason that I asked you guys not to look anything up is that's actually one of the first steps that most people will take in exegesis, or it's at least the first step that I take. Is don't look anything up, don't consult any sources, just read the text, just you and the word, and 
focus on what stands out. Okay, so I wanted to just say this when I went through it, this was kind of what stood out to me. So the situation has a direct correlation to the advancement of the gospel, which we said, and that goes straight to the whole imperial guard who knows, and that knowledge leads straight to confidence, which leads to the speaking out of the word. And so because I do the whole language thing, that's just kind of, especially since I'm teaching Greek right now, that's kind of where my brain is. So I immediately went more to the grammatical. In this group that I was with up here, they talked a lot about context, it's the Imperial Guard. So that's not just the Roman Guard, that's not just the soldiers, that's a special class of Imperial Guard. And so that's a different level, it's a different group. And so that changes their sphere of influence. And so I think it's really neat that each person can pull something different out of the text, but it's a great place to start just by reading and just by pulling out information and then going and saying, okay, well, maybe you don't know what the Imperial Guard is. Well, that's the time you go and look up, okay, what's the Imperial Guard? Why might that be important? And then, oh, I don't remember what the situation is. What might that situation be? Okay, he was in prison. Well, what did imprisonments look like then? And so it's kind of like a rabbit trail where you can follow to get more and more information, which is here, just gathering that information so that it can then be interpreted. Okay. Now, questions and implications. So after we went through all of that, I want to go back into groups for just a minute. I like this discussion, kind of get information, then go into a discussion time. So I pulled these kind of from the book, but I also added in some of my own because it's just such a big section in the book. The questions just weren't. I thought last week was really great, but I pulled in a bunch more this time. So what do these verses tell us specifically about Paul's aims and goals? Just these verses, like what do they tell us about his goals? And then why do you think Paul wanted the Philippians to know this? Why is it important that they know not just that he's in prison? I mean, they were helping him financially, so they did need to know his location. They needed to know those things. But why is he telling them that that imprisonment is furthering the gospel? What, what is the point of telling them that? Because it's clearly going beyond just asking for money or for support or thanking them for that support. <laughs> okay, so moving on to verses 15 to 18, this is where I'm going to bring in some of those different divisions. So after we read through this, we're going to go to a slide where there are different divisions in different commentaries and in different translations and take the verses section by section and then adding on new verses and see how that changes the way that we read. So just verses 15 to 18, and it's through the first part of 18. 18 is kind of a long verse. So some, to be sure, uh, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so from love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, but they think that they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. So here's how different commentaries broke up this section. So one took it all the way to 20, which we didn't read the last two verses. They kind of tack on at the end, and they'll be in a couple of slides, where the focus in this commentary is two classes of preachers. So this commentary says that the focus here is really on the fact that there's two different kinds of preachers, and Paul is getting at that and discussing the different kinds and the impact that they have. A different commentary says it's actually just Paul's disposition to different motives. So he's making a commentary on motives. And a third says that it's him referencing his circumstances as both a blessing and something with a problem. So three completely different focuses, foci technically, three different foci here, but they all work together. 
Okay, and so as we move through, when we add more and more verses, we'll see, I think, how it can illuminate a little bit more. So just going through verse 17, and I have it right here, just through 17. So some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so from love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think that they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. So just those verses, not anything above it or below it, just those verses when we're looking at it. I pulled up three questions here that I thought might help kind of get the conversation going and then it leads into the next section. So recall a time where your situation was a blessing mixed with hardship, okay? And then during that time, did you acknowledge the blessing or did you wait until after and then acknowledge the blessing? Because it seems like Paul is acknowledging that blessing in the midst of his suffering. And I know for me, I'm not normally keen to acknowledge my combination of blessings and sufferings when I'm in the middle of them. I tend to focus more on what's going on and then look back at it. Uh, number two, why do you think we so often only acknowledge the blessing mixed with the hardship afterwards? And if you don't, that's great. I want you to tell us how you focus on both because I am terrible at that. And then why did Paul acknowledge the mixture? Like why specifically? So I'm going to break back up into groups and talk about just kind of through these questions and see what you think and then we'll come back and add another verse. Okay so in breaking this down I wanted to break down the envy and rivalry because when I first read it I actually thought it was talking about false doctrine when I first read it and so I had to go back and look again. So the word here is this Greek word here and it means strife contentiousness, selfishness, selfish ambition. And it's used seven other times throughout the New Testament. It's used, and I only have the ones up here from Paul because part of this exegesis is you start within Paul and you figure out how Paul uses a word and then you go beyond that to the New Testament. So since just for time, I kept it within Paul up here. So he uses the same word in Romans 2.8, in 2 Corinthians 12.20, and in Galatians 5.20. Does somebody mind looking up and just reading out those? And what I want to look for is how is Paul using this idea in these verses to try and see, give maybe some more context to these people and to what they're saying or what they're doing or just this idea. So if somebody has Romans 2.8, if you don't mind reading it. So for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fear. Okay. And 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Okay. And Galatians 5, 20. Somebody doesn't mind. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. So in each of these verses, these are kind of describing the things that go with this word. Okay, now keep in mind the context here. Paul is not, we're not talking about false teachers. We're talking about false motives here and incorrect motives. And so by bringing in these other verses, we get further context of how Paul really kind of feels about people who do this, people who say this, and this word and how it works within the Christian walk. So I think... This group over here said it great that it's not Paul's problem. This isn't Paul's, it's not his sphere, 
right? The gospel is being preached. This is clearly not a great thing in the long run, but that's not for Paul to answer for, and that's not for anybody of the churches in Philippi, really, to answer for. This is for those people who are teaching with false motives. That's something that they're going to have to deal with, and that's kind of between them and God, and it's not really the focus. The focus is the outcome, despite all of that, because the description there is not great, right? It's not great. But the group here in the back, I was sitting with them, and they said, you know, <laughs> motives a lot of times have a way of coming out in the end. And the longer that people work, the longer that these teachers were teaching, their motives, they kind of come through. And so it's still not something that needs to be worried about, because either it's going to come out, or God's going to handle it. Either way, not our circus, not our monkeys. Either way. And then the verse goes on to say, not sincerely, meaning these people, they're not teaching out of sincerity. And I wanted to recall back to last week when we talked about the importance of sincerity, because we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about how important it is that we are sincere in, in work and indeed in all of the things that we do. And there's not that here. So even though it's preached correctly, even though it's doctrinally sound, it's not sincere. Still not our circus, still not our monkeys, but there is that level that's missing. And so eventually that's going to become a problem. Like that's going to be a problem in the long run because sincerity is not something that is easy to maintain or a false sincerity is not easy to maintain. This last bit here, so they think that they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. In looking at commentaries, most commentators kind of divide this into two options for what this means. Because, like, what kind of trouble are these people really going to cause? He's already in prison. Like, he is in prison. What, What else are they going to do? He's a Roman citizen. It's not like they can make it so they can't put him to death, right? That has to go through Rome. So there's not a whole lot that they could do. The first option, which tends to be where most scholars fall is that they're deliberately just trying to cause trouble just in general they're trying to they're trying to trouble him which is not something that we often think about as a good thing when it comes to somebody teaching it's like oh they're teaching great things but they're causing trouble for somebody over here but it's okay because they're teaching great things that's not a thought process that we normally have or that is something that's to be rejoiced of the second option is that they're upsetting Paul unintentionally, and most commentators kind of don't think that. I mean, it is possible grammatically, but it's far more likely that these teachers, while teaching truth, are going out of their way to cause problems, which again, goes back to it's not something that we tend to think of as a good thing. It's like, oh, they're preaching great things or teaching great things, but they're being really mean to Paul over here. That's not a normal thing for us. And so the question, and I kind of want to just do this as a big group, what do we do with this? How do we react? Do we react the same way we've talked about? I mean, knowing that they are most likely going out of their way to cause trouble for Paul in whatever way it causes trouble. Maybe it makes the guards meaner. We don't know. Does it change the way we view this situation in general, or is it the same? What do y'all think? I think it's a lesson on keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize, yeah. Keep focused on... Stay focused. Yeah, stay focused. Yeah. I agree. Any other thoughts? So when we talk about, this is just clarification for the two classes of preachers. So these were members of the Christian community. These are not 
antagonists to the church itself. These are people who apparently just had a problem with Paul. This is not like the Judaizers from other letters. These are not people who are preaching false gospel. They're not preaching, oh, you need to maintain Jewish laws. These are actually members of the Christian church. Um, And I think that it's especially considering the context that there is a problem within the leadership. I think it shows this human element here that these are church members and they are not making what we would say were wise choices looking at it from the outside. And yet, here they are. And I think it's a good lesson for those leaders. It's like, oh, he's having trouble with this too. You know, I can probably work through my troubles. Um, Like we've already said, the verses highlight how Paul views the outcome. And not just the actions, it's the outcome of the gospel. It's that focus on the gospel, and it's not so much on, oh, they're mean to me, oh, they say mean things. It's the outcome of the gospel. Um, They're not false teachers. And um, the last thing I wanted to do, I think this is the last one in our groups, is talk about how do we interact? Because I'm sure everybody has interacted at some point with somebody in the church that you don't quite get along with, right? That's just the thing. We are all humans. We are all sinful we're going to interact with people that we just don't jive with. What do we do? How do, you, how do we do that? How do we interact? Do we fix it? Do we not fix it? Do we coexist? What do we do? How, how do we do this? What does, what does the Bible tell us about how to deal with these relationships? So, 